Oof. Had so much fun already, I feel like taking a nap. We're in 1 Samuel. We're moving our way through, getting to the end here. God willing, next week uh, should be able to finish up the book. This week, we're going to try and cover chapter 29 and 30. So if you get to chapter 29 with me, it's a shorter chapter. I'm going to read it and jump right in. Then uh, when I'm done with the commentary on that, we'll have Sister Kim come read chapter 30 to us. Let's thank God for the word, and I'm going to read chapter 29. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come together and worship and Father, we can be in your presence where we can hear announcements about what's going on in a living church because, Father, your body's alive and you are doing things, Lord God, and there's excitement and there's opportunity. And Father, right now we just open up our hearts for the word. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us into all truth and give us the treasures and the wisdom that you've tucked into these verses so that we can live those things on Monday morning. I ask it in Jesus' name and the church said... 1 Samuel 29. Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies in Aphek, while the Israelites were camping by the spring, which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were proceeding on by hundreds and by thousands. And David and his men were proceeding on in the rear with Achish. Then the commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me these days, or rather these years? And I have found no fault in him from the day he deserted to me to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Make the man go back that he may return to his place where you have assigned him. And do not let him go to the battle with us, or he will, or in the battle he may become an adversary to us. For with what could this man make himself acceptable to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sing in the dances, saying, Saul has slayed his thousands and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been upright in your going out and your coming in with me in the army and pleasing in my sight. For I have found no evil in you from the day of your coming to this day. Nevertheless, you are not pleasing in the sight of the Lord's. Now therefore return and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. David said to Achish, but what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day when I came before you to this day that I might not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? But Achish replied to David, I know that you are pleasing in my sight like an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said he must not go with us to the battle. Now then arise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you. And as soon as you have risen early in the morning and have light, depart. So David arose early, he and his men, to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went to Jezreel. So what's just happening here, long story short, is David, who is under Achish, who is a Philistine, he is getting ready to go to war against the children of Israel, his own people. 
and he's riding with the Philistines and he's getting ready to fight against his own nation. Now, understand what a precarious moment for David. Saul's tried to kill him several times. He's hiding out among Israel's arch enemy. I mean, in first service, I was talking about it, it like somebody on a sports team getting traded to another team. You know, when you see them in a different uniform, have you ever seen that? You know, it's like when Roger Clemens was a Red Sox and then he got traded to the Yankees and he was in a Yankee uniform. I mean, that was like, you know, he couldn't go to Boston safely for a long time. I mean, it's just a weird thing. Here's David fighting for the Philistines. And, you know, we're not quite sure what he's going to do. Is he going to fight against his own countrymen? Is he going to kill the people he's eventually going to rule? I mean, in not too long, Saul's going to be removed and David's going to be put on the throne. It seems as though David's willing to fight and kill his own countrymen. So the Philistines are massing and realize this is not a small conflict here. We're going to see next week, you know, what happens and how this is a serious situation. But hundreds and thousands of Philistines are lining up. In verses 3 through 5, the Philistine commanders, they see David there. And they see his presence in their formation. And they are not happy. And they let Achish know about it. And basically they're like, what is this Hebrew doing here? We're fighting the Hebrews, and they just do not like the idea because, you know, remember, David has been raiding, and he's been doing things behind Achish's back, and Achish doesn't know it, yet Achish stands there and says, oh, David's a great guy. You know, David can be trusted. He hasn't done anything wrong since the day he's come to me. You know, he's like an angel in my sight. You know, sometimes the opinions of men are very inaccurate. Anybody? You know, I've noticed that most of the things that people think about other people are inaccurate. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, they're a great person, great this, great that, and like you work with them, or you've done business with them, or you went to school with them, and you're like, are we talking about the same person? Right? That's why we shouldn't get too excited about the accolades of men. Oh, you know, Pastor Rick is such a great guy. <laughs> oh, Pastor Rick, he's a bum. <laughs> I, you know, you got to take both sides and just... Oh, it's quiet here this morning because we all like to soak it in like the little insecure sponge. Tell me how great I am. But really, the opinions of men are worthless and inaccurate. And here's David. He's going behind Achish's back. He's raiding. He's killing. He's wiping out entire villages of the enemies that would come and afflict the Philistines. And Achish is like, oh, he's such a great guy. Now, the other Philistines are not buying it. They're like, we're not going to war with this guy. He's not going to ride with us because we don't trust him. And before you, you know, look at the Philistines and say they're just a bunch of bad people. No, they were exactly right. In fact, as a Bible commentator reading this and studying it for decades, I'm not quite sure what David's going to do in some of these situations. Is he going to kill his own countrymen, his own brothers in arms? It looks like he is. In fact, we're going to see in just a minute here that when he gets dismissed, he's not happy about it. So the Philistine commanders, they let Achish know, send him back to Ziglag, get him off the battlefield, we're not riding with him. And then, you know, they remind Achish that, you know, David is a, a famous warrior. They, they talk in verse 5 here, you know, it looks like they know David's number one hit single that he says, it says, Saul has slayed his thousands and David is ten thousands, right? David's got his own, you know, he's got his own thing going there. And like, this is the same David who killed Goliath. Send him home. So in verses 6 through 11, Achish complies with their demands. He really has no choice. 
He tells David he's out of the fight. David protests and he says, you know, what have I done? Why are you sending me home? Mommy, think about this. Here's your chance, David. You, you, you don't have to go fight against your own countrymen. Yet he protests like, you know, I want to go. Sometimes warriors just like war. Sometimes fighters just like to fight. But think about the stakes here. If he does this thing there, it's a rash thing. If he does this thing, soon he's going to be sitting on the throne and he's going to have families under his rulership that are missing sons and husbands and brothers because David killed him. Wow. David protests, but to no avail. Achish has no choice. He sends him back to Ziglag. He tells him, oh, you know, in verse 9, Achish's view of David there again uh, doesn't realize what David's doing behind his back, doesn't realize that David is playing him. He says, you are like an angel of God in my sight. There again, the opinions of men. Don't get too excited about what people say about you, good or bad, because only, only God's opinion matters. For David, this is a tough situation. Why? Because throughout David's life, he has been rejected, and he has been misunderstood, and he has been overlooked. Now he's with the enemy, he's, he's with them, and he's not even accepted by them. When it was time to anoint a king, his father didn't even think enough of him to bring him out from the field with the sheep and stand him before the prophet. He's been overlooked, he's been rejected. This time, even the Philistines reject him, and he says, what have I done? So you know there's something going on in David's heart. It's not easy for any of us to be rejected. It's not easy for any of us to be overlooked. It's not easy for any of us to be dismissed. David deals with the sting of that, and he does what he has to do. He heads back home to Ziglag. Now, I'm going to have Sister Kim read you chapter 30, but I just want to say one thing. As you're listening to chapter 30 here, realize that no matter how bad things are in life, they can always get worse. Hello? Well, don't say that, Pastor. It's negative. Haven't you read the power of positive thinking? Listen, no matter how bad things are, don't complain, because they can always get worse. Sister Kim, read the worse. First Samuel chapter 30. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziglag and had overthrown Ziglag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both, great, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those who left behind remained. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor remained behind. 
Now they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he ate and they provided him water to drink. They gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins and he ate. Then his spirit revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite and my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev of the Cherethites and on that which belongs to Judah and on the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Then David said to him, Will you bring me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring you down to this band. Verse 16. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle, which the people drove ahead of the other livestock, and they said, this is David's spoil. <clears throat> Verse 21, when David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David, who had also been left at the brook Besor, and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him, then David approached the people and greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men among those who went with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except to every man, his wife, and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then David said, you must not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us, who has kept us and delivered into our hand the band that came against us, and who will listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. So it has been from that day forward that he made a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now when David came to Ziglag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Behold, a gift for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord, to those who were in Bethel, and to those who were in Ramoth of the Negev, and to those who were in Jatir, and to those who were in Aror, and to those who were in Sifmoth, and to those who were in Eshtemoah, and to those who were in Rakal, and to those who were in the cities of the Jeremiahites, and to those who were in the cities of the Kenites, and to those who were in Hormah, and to those who were in Borashan, and to those who were in Athak, and to those who were in the Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to go. So things are bad, but they can always get worse. David gets kicked off the battlefield. He's not allowed to be in the fight. He's rejected by the Philistines. And he goes home, and home is burnt to the ground. His wives are gone. Their children are gone. Everything is gone. Now, what an interesting situation here because David had been raiding and wiping out places and he comes home and his place is now raided and wiped out. Ziglag is a big mess for David. 
the Amalekites have really just hit him with this death blow here. And the response of David's men and at the loss of all their you know, belongings and their homes and their wives and daughters is just, it's overwhelming here. They weep until they can weep no more. If you've ever cried until you're out of tears, you get this. If you haven't, I hope that day never comes. But when you can't cry anymore and you're so broken, what a place to be. David goes from being rejected to coming home to nothing at the lowest of lows. And his men are weeping and they're crying. And as if that isn't bad enough, uh, you know, they are, you know, they're angry and they're going to place the blame at somewhere. We're going to see that in verse six. We see that, you know, David does something that all of us need to learn how to do when we're in these moments in life. It says, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now think about this. His men who trusted him and rode with him, these, these band of, you know, like the dregs of society that came to him, that he, he has kind of, you know, helped them and he's made them to have a name and to have significance. They all of a sudden on a dime turn on him. You say, what is that? That's human nature. That's why we don't get excited about the accolades of men. That's why we don't get excited about people's opinions of us because they can turn on a dime. You know, when Jesus wrote in, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then just a little while later, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Same crowd. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The crowd can be fickle. One minute, David's the man. Everything's going right. He's making great decisions. Uh, he's keeping his group alive. They're beginning to prosper. They found a place of refuge. Next minute, things go bad. Let's stone him. Let's kill him. What does David do? He encourages himself in the Lord. This is what we got to get today. There's going to come times in all of our lives where, you know what, people turn against us and the people who were closest to us reject us and the people that surrounded us and helped us, now all of a sudden, they're not for us anymore. What do we do in situations like that? We run to the one person who never leaves us or forsakes us. We run to the Lord our God, and out of relationship, we encourage ourselves in the Lord. If God is for us, who could be against us? So David does that, and he models it for us. So understand, no matter if the whole world turns on you, and even your mama don't want to take your phone call. My mom always takes my phone calls. But even if she was mad at me, Jesus has still got me. You can trust the Lord, and David does, and he encourages himself in the Lord. Uh, he does something here that is powerful and another example to us. He has a huge advantage over Saul. Remember, the other week when we were together, we covered Saul. Saul had no access to God. He had killed all the priests. The prophets weren't talking to him. Samuel was dead. What did Saul do? Come on, shout it out if you know it. He went to a a witch, a medium, a psychic friend's hotline. He went to the occult, right? Yes. I saw your faces last time when I preached this. You don't remember this? 
So Saul has no interaction with God. He has no feedback from God. David does. David gets in a tight situation. First, he encourages himself to, in the Lord. Then he goes and he calls for the priest. And he wants the priest to come and bring the linen ephod. So what's this all about? What the priest would do is he'd put on the linen ephod, the priestly garment. He would go before the Lord. He would inquire of the Lord. The Lord would speak to him. And he would go back and tell the, the king or the leader or whatever what they should do. What Saul did have David did have and so he uses it and he gets the priest to go in and I want you to see something in verses 7 and 8 he asked very specific questions and this is important then David said to Abiathar the priest the son of Ahimelech please bring me the ephod so Abiathar brought the ephod to David David inquired of the Lord saying shall I pursue this band shall I overtake them so very specific questions and I want you to see this. When we pray to the Lord, we shouldn't pray, as the Bible says, in vain repetitions, repeating prayers that somebody else wrote or something from Scripture over and over again. When we pray, we shouldn't pray in generalities. Oh, God, please bless me. Or we should pray specifically to our God. Amen. If you're not asking God specific things, don't expect specific answers. We have not. Because we ask not. David asked pointed questions. Shall I pursue them? Will I overtake them? The priest inquires. They inquire the Lord. The Lord answers back. Yeah, pursue them. You're going to overtake them. And you're going to get back everything that was stolen from you. That's the first good news we've gotten in this chapter so far. And so David inquires of the Lord, we, we need to make pointed prayers. Are you going through trials in life? Are you going through crisis in life? Do you need answers to the questions in life? I'm asking anybody. Yes. Pray specific prayers and God will give you specific answers. Play, play games with God. Pray in generalities. Don't pray at all and you'll get what you pray for. We have not because we ask not. So David gets the answer he's looking for. Yes, pursue. Yes, you'll overtake them. Verses 9 and 10, there are, you know, 600 men with David that he's going to launch this counterattack against the Amalekites, but 200 of them were too exhausted to fight, so they stay behind with the gear. Now think about this. We can't know the hearts of these people, but if, if there's a fight to be had and 200 people don't want to participate, it's, you know, it's just human nature to question their motives. You know, maybe they didn't have kids. Maybe they didn't have wives. Maybe they didn't like their wife. <laughs> maybe they only took their mother-in-law. I don't know. You guys are dead this morning. Scared to laugh, aren't you? I don't know why they didn't go, but, you know, their motives can be questioned. And 200 stay behind and the 400 go. So David launches his counterattack. This is an important thing that we're talking about here that 200 stay behind because it's going to be an issue later. Verses 11 through 15, more lessons. David gets all the intel he needs from an abandoned Egyptian slave who was left behind by his master. In verse 11, we see that David didn't know where these guys went. You know, uh, he needed to know this information. It says in verse 11, now they found an Egyptian in the field brought to him and gave him bread and he ate. So they, they, 
quote-unquote found, realize this is all the hand of God. Verse 11 and 12 talk about that the guy's half dead. They feed him. They revive him. David says to him in verse 13, to whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on Neb and the Cherets and uh, things that belong to Judah, and he talks about Ziglag. So let's just take a look at this here. Here's this young guy, and he's left for dead on the battlefield. Why? Because he got sick. Now there's a lesson in here. Be careful how you treat people. You know, the world treats people, well, if you're no use to me, I've got no use for you. People are users and they're opportunistic. And if you haven't figured out that by now, you're in for a, a lifetime of hurt and abuse. But this guy looks at his slave like he's just cattle. Well, he's sick and I just got a whole bunch of loot. You know, I don't need him anymore. And he casts him aside. Not knowing that because he cast this guy aside alive, that the, his enemy is going to get information from him that is actually going to cost him his life. Think about that. Because he mistreats this young boy and he just throws him away because he's useless to him, it's actually in just a short time going to cost this guy his life because of the way he treated him. And I know it gets really quiet when we talk about stuff like this, but God is watching the way we treat others. God is watching those people that, you know, nobody has a use for, nobody has patience with, or maybe, you know, we call them in ministry EGRs, extra grace required. If you're not laughing, you're probably one of them. But think about it. There are some people, and God is watching the way we treat people. And this guy is just thrown away and left for dead. What a sad thing. Uh, he, He... you know, he tells David, basically, I'll show you exactly where these guys are if you promise, you know, not to kill me or return me to my master. And what a, you know, what a piece of information he gets from him. Uh, this master who's thrown him aside has sown this dangerous harvest into his life that's about to bear fruit. Verses 16 and 17, David gets the information from this Egyptian slave who was thrown away and he finds the enemy. Now look in 16 and 17 is just, this is a tough way to find your enemies. David, in verse 16, it says, uh, when they had brought him down, behold, they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines. Wow. I picture David just getting up to a ridge and creeping over and looking, and there he sees in the valley down below just a great big party going on. The heathen are celebrating, they're drinking, they got the disco balls, you know, the the bass is thumping, and they're just... Just waiting for some people to smile. It's good for your face, it takes away wrinkles. But how would you like that to see your enemy, you know, celebrating with your stuff, partying over what they took from you. You know, David doesn't take it too well. In fact, he does what David does. He goes down and he kills them all. And he, only 400 young men get away who took off on camels, but everyone else is wiped out. And I can guarantee you that the Amalekite master who threw his slave away was down there reaping what he had sown with his bad behavior. It's important the way we treat people. So... David goes down and he wipes out the enemy and recovers. 
you know, this is what's so amazing in verses 18 through 20. David recovers everything. No one is lost, not one person, not one wife, not one child, not one portion of their things. I don't know about you, but that is a miracle of God. There's only one way to explain that, amen. This is God's grace on David's life. And they recover, just as the word of the Lord said, they recover everything. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, son or daughter, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle, which the people drove ahead of the other livestock. And they said, this is David's spoil. So what happens here? It's a miracle of God. They recover everything. Just as the priest said, no one's missing. That's a blessing. But they also recover more than just what they had lost. They recover the spoil that this group of people had stolen from anybody. Now, when you think about it, we don't understand, you know, we hear about cattle and sheep and stuff and we think, oh, animals, you know, that was money. This was millions of dollars worth of money to them that they recovered. So what they got back what they lost, but they also got more than they lost. And it was called the spoil. I want to talk to you a little bit about the spoil. The spoil is a dangerous thing. Uh, you know, many times in life, you know, God told his people when they recovered things, not to take them, not to take the spoil, because the spoil can be a double-edged sword, and I'll tell you why. Because when you take things that you haven't earned at other people's expense, it can often come with a curse with it. Now it's quiet. Let's speak to this generation that's so enamored with socialism. Socialism takes from others what they've earned and gives it to people who haven't earned it. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, it's a violation of God's commandments. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's stuff. Yet there are people who think, you know what? I want your stuff. Now, Elias has a good year and he makes a lot of money. What percentage of Elias' stuff belongs to me? Gets ugly when you get it down to that level, right? But if we close our eyes and let the government do it and take what we didn't earn, understand something. There's a curse attached to feeling entitled to other people's stuff. Oh, it's quiet this morning. That only encourages me. I'm like a shark with blood in the water. We better wake up in America. The Bible says we need to earn our bread by the sweat of our own brow, not our neighbor's brow. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Amen. I think we should follow God's principles instead of the godless principles that have been proven throughout history not to work at all. We better wake up as a people and wake up as a generation before the blessings and the freedom we have are gone. So... They fight over the spoil and they, they take the spoil and the spoil's a double-edged sword. Now, if God says, don't touch it, just leave it. He told Saul not to take stuff. He let the people take it. That cost Saul the kingdom. This time he doesn't tell David not to take it. But case in point, when they get back with the spoil, the first thing, the reason God doesn't want us to touch some of these things or covet or want other people's stuff is because he knows it's not going to be a blessing to us. If you've ever gotten something the wrong way, or you, you know, maybe before you knew Jesus, you stole or you took or, when, you know, you brought stuff home, you liberated it from the office. <laughs> you know, I know we're, we're in the city, you know, people would like take other people's bikes and stuff. Yeah. How could you ride around on a stolen bike and smile? <laughs> no, I couldn't do it. You know, so 
when you take stuff that God says not to, I don't know how you enjoy it, but God didn't tell them not to take it. They did take it. When they get back, you know, it's David's spoil. And, and we see greed and pride rise up here. That they, when they get back in verse 21, you know, they begin to have issues here. When David came uh, to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David, who had also been left at the brook Besor, they went out to meet David and to meet them who were with him. And David approached the people and greeted them. Listen to verse 22. Then all the wicked and worthless men among those who had went with David because they had, did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we recovered except to every man, his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. So basically the people who got all this free loot came back and said, we're not sharing it with you guys because you didn't fight. So what happened? Case in point, exactly what I said happens. When greed enters in, when pride enters in, when free stuff is available, people get ugly about it. And they don't want to share. Now it's quiet again. So notice what the word calls those people there who didn't want to share. Wicked and worthless. These were the guys who rode with David in a while to the fight. Some of them had bad character. If you remember the group of people that were gathered to him, they were people who had bad character. They were in debt. They were in trouble. They were, you know, they were just, they had character issues. And we see that cropping up again. Why does God say that they're wicked and worthless? Because they're greedy and they're lustful and they're materialistic and they don't want to share and they're not grateful. Do you understand the only reason that they have this spoil, that they have all their wives and children back is because God has been gracious to them? How could we who are blessed of God and forgiven of our sins and, and blessed with all kinds of things that God provides for us so freely be selfish with others? A selfish Christian is just a contradiction. You and I should be the most giving, generous, non-materialistic people ever because we've been given grace. We've been excused from our life for our eternal sentence in hell by the blood of Jesus. And everything past that to me is just gravy. So we see some wicked and worthless here and they, they don't want to share and they begin infighting and there's friction and this is exactly why God tells them not to touch things sometimes because uh, people get greedy and you know, materialistic about stuff and they didn't even earn it really. You know, it was just extra. Verse 22, those who fought didn't want to share with those who stayed behind. Now the verse describes these people as wicked and worthless and you know the greed and the pride is there and we see that that's what's at the root of the division. David steps in and as we close out the chapter here, he does some very kingly things. Now realize, if you're gonna be a leader, you have to have exemplary character and you have to be able to lead others in moments of crisis. This was a crisis. This could have started, this could have ended in bloodshed. Realize you got a group of warriors coming back with, you know, and they're tired and they got stuff and a group that's all well rested and you, they're saying you get nothing. This could have turned into a fight and got ugly real quick. 
But David steps in and he says, no, it's not going to be this way. We're not going to do that. We're not going to, you know, the people who stay behind with the gear are going to get the same portion. Everybody gets a portion. So David makes that decree. He quells the situation. And it says that this is an ordinance that stayed and remained in Israel all the times that they, you know, did this sort of thing. That was the rule. Whether you went out to fight or you stayed behind with the gear, you got, you got a cut in the spoil. So David kind of disarms that situation. Then in verses 26 through 31, as the chapter closes down, what we see is David taking the spoil and giving it to people in Judah and people in other areas that were kind to him. So another kingly move, what does he do? Instead of greedily you know, hoarding all the stuff to himself, it said it was David's spoil, right. he shares it with all the people who have been good to him. There again, I want you to see that. That's, that's what, look, if, if you know, I, I don't know everybody's heart out there today, but God do, does. If we have a problem with greed, if we're selfish, if we're materialistic, if we don't share, if we don't play nice with others. I mean, everybody looks guilty this morning. <laughs> Sounds like kindergarten, right? We need the Lord work on our hearts. David does a classy move here. Instead of hoarding it all to himself, he gives it to all the people who have been gracious to him who have been kind to him in his exile. And he spreads, he spreads it around to the people, you know, who didn't have a share in it per se, but that he saw as valuable and that he wanted to be generous with. So many principles in here that, that apply perfectly to us. Even though this happened thousands of years ago, why does it apply to us perfectly? Because it's human nature. We see it in God's people, and we see God's leaders having to uh, take these situations and disarm them and, and, and model a better way of behavior. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, that, Lord, you do bless us, and you have been gracious to us. And Father, you've given us so much, and help us, Lord, not to covet, not to desire uh, what, what belongs to others, not to look at others' blessings and others' uh, situations and say, I want that. But Lord, help us to drive greed and covetousness out of our lives, to be content with what you've given us, to work hard, to, to honor you with the gifts that you've given us, to be productive. And Lord, then when we increase by our own productivity and faithfulness, help us not to be greedy, but to be generous. Let there be a spirit of generousness in the church that we wouldn't be selfish with each other. When we see one another in need, that rather than heap blessings upon ourselves we would share with our brothers and sisters with joyful hearts. Help us, Lord, not to be like the world, not to be wicked and worthless, but to be righteous and generous and humble. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can give him a hand clap of praise if you'd like. Bless you, Lord.